Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Guys, listen, we are continuing this, this journey through the, through the scriptures, and I just want to remind you of why we began the year of the Bible. What we realized is that we are living in a day and age of, of Bible poverty. What that means is not that we don't have the scriptures, the Bible, the book. We have the internet. We have, we have the app. We have all of that. What, what is going on of Bi- what Bible poverty means is that we, for whatever reason, are unaware of what is in the Bible. We are unaware of God's larger story from Genesis to Revelation and and just because we're human, over time, we've isolated things and events in Scripture, and we've built different doctrines on them. We've built different ministries up about them. But really, all of them point to a greater reality that is always fulfilled and was pointing to being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so, we are, we are living under the new covenant, meaning there was an old covenant that was made, but the old covenant was made for the purpose of guarding and guiding a group of people called the Jews into their land called Israel so that God could bring the one who would fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 3 and crush the head of Satan and crush the head of sin that has plagued humanity and that as Jesus would come through this, this, this protected group of people called the Jews, he would then die on the cross, raised from the dead and be able to then save all of the world. And that's the good news. But we're on the journey of understanding some of these pieces and some of these major events throughout Scripture. If you have not downloaded the app or downloaded part four of our year of the Bible, let me encourage you to do that. Let me please encourage you to do that because it's going to transform your life. And if you're like, oh, I'm behind. No, you're not. You start, once soon as you start, you started. You're not behind. Don't let the devil say that to you and you live under condemnation. Start now and just begin the journey. Just begin the journey with us. And so there's a, our team has, has written devotionals. There's scripture reading. And together, we're going to be moving through the scriptures. And then when you come on Sunday, I'm going to be preaching from one of the passages that we read throughout that week. And so let me encourage you to do that. It's easy. Go to year of the, excuse me, you go to the Bible app. You type in year of the Bible, you put in part four, because that's what we're at, and then you just begin the journey. And if it's every other day, then it's every other day. If it's once a week, then it's once a week. If it's every day, then it's every day. I promise you this, the Word of God does not return void. If you put it in your life, it transforms you, it changes you, it alters your mind, and then you begin to see the fruit of it in your life, in your attitude, in your emotions, in your relationships, and then you're going to just be able to just walk around and just be super happy because that's what God does. Amen? So here we are. We've been on a journey with the children of Israel. But before I get there, we know that they're following God. And anytime you follow God, you are faced with, with some things in your life called choices. Being a Christian means we have to make decisions every day. Every day. Now, some of those decisions um, don't really matter. Like whether I have, I'll just say it, tacos or enchiladas for lunch, it doesn't matter. What does matter is the salsa. That really matters. Amen. Come on, everybody say amen to that one. Hallelujah, right? That matters. 
Some don't matter. Some decisions you make as a believer will impact you, but it's not that big of a deal. But some decisions that you make as believers is a massive deal. It's a huge deal. It will have tremendous weighty outcomes and implications So when it comes to following God, we need to understand we have choices. And so we've been on a journey with the children of Israel up to this point, and they made some decent choices, so-so. They've made some good ones, and they've made some bad choices. And today this passage is very challenging because it's dealing with this idea of choices. They're going to have to make a choice. And let me just tell you right away, it's a dumb one. And the implications are huge. So they've been on a journey. We've been doing it for several weeks. We've been walking with them. We've been looking at the nuances. We've been finding Jesus in the, in the midst of all of this and being encouraged about this. But these people have been delivered out of slavery. They've been given the rules of, 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 by God to protect them and to keep them from being seduced by the other nations. They've seen super, one supernatural act after another. God has protected them. He's kept them. He's fed them. He's given them water. He's parted Red Seas. He's all this stuff. And here we are, Numbers 13. They left Egypt to go on their way to the promised land. And Numbers 13, geographically, where are we? We are right at the border. And it's promised to them. This is the land. They're looking at the land that was promised to Abraham, then reiterated promise to Abraham's son Isaac, and then to Isaac. From Isaac, it was promised to Jacob. Then in Genesis 50, it was promised to Joseph. I mean, this is their land. And it belongs to them. And now here they are. The issue isn't if the land belongs. The issue is you need to go get it. So they have to invade it and they have to conquer it. So they're physically right on the edge, but... What's happened up to this point is they have spiritually eroded over the journey. They've been grumbling, which didn't work out well for them. They didn't like the food and they wanted quail, which that didn't work out for them. They didn't like the taste of the water in the rock. They didn't like the journey. And here they are. They've had a difficult time and God has been working with them and and they've seen the consequences of grumbling. They've seen the consequences of, of complaining. They've seen all the consequences. And so they're here, they're being led by Moses and God tells Moses to set this passage up. I want you to put together a recom mission. He said, Moses, come here. You see this land? That's yours, man. Gave it to you. I assigned everyone else in the nations of the world according to their languages. I divided the borders from the Tower of Babel. But this one, that's yours. No one else owns that one but yours. I've written my name on that land. It's yours. So now you need to go and get it. So 
God tells Moses, I want you to send some spies over there. I want you to go over there and check out the land. And so Moses gets 12 spies or 12 men from the leaders of the 12 tribes. Now they're leaders. This is very important. They're leaders. He says, all right, boys, you need to go over there. I want you to look around. I want you to see what we got. See what we're going to need to do. See what we, what, what, you know, so we're aware that what God's going to do and what God's going to ask us to do. But the fact is that's ours. Go check it out. Come back. Let's talk about it. So Numbers chapter 13, Lord says to Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, each one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. Now just listen, you got to follow this with me. The and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds. In other words, we're going we're to put some strategy together. We've got to know what's going on. And whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some fruit home from the land. Because this is the season for some grapes. In other words, listen, go check it out. It's already ours. See what we got. And on your way back, hey, can you pick up a couple bushels of, bushels of fruit so we can sit around and talk about how good God is and eat? It's going to be great. And so at the end of the 40 days, they were there for 40 days. They were in the land 40 days, moving around, looking around, evaluating, writing stuff down, texting back what they see and don't see. They come back. They had their map. They were like, should, Waze or Apple Maps? I don't know. I just, anyway, that's dumb. Okay. And they came to Moses. So they came back. They came to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the people, all of Israel. Everybody say all. They came to all the congregation of people of Israel. Now, I just have this thought. They were gone. They came back. I think Moses and Aaron is like, hey, everybody, spies are back. You're going to be encouraged by this. Come on, come on. You're going you're to love this. So they gather all the people, the congregation. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, I don't know what kind of grapes these were. I've seen different drawings of it, but all I know is this, is that they, they had to carry the grapes on a pole between two men. One or two things. Either the Hebrews are really tiny or these grapes are really big. And I don't, I don't this, this is a, it, it is such a luscious land. So they bring it back and they show them the fruit and this is what they say. We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Check it out. I, and I don't know if these grapes look like grapefruits. I have no idea. But this, they were big. 
it was like, wow. This is really what God said it was. It's gonna be a man, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said it flows in milk and honey and this is the fruit. And, and it's wonderful. It's everything. Now remember, these people have been on a journey. They've been eating manna and warm water and they got sick of manna and they were tired of manna tortillas. They were sick of manna bread. They were sick of it. And now they're hearing about, about the land of fruit and milk and honey. It sounds so good. It's everything that God told them it was going to be. Here it is. It's amazing. But here's the problem. The next verse. However, the spies start talking. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Don't get too happy. However, the people who dwell in the land, look, look, are strong the cities are fortified and very large. You can almost hear their quivering voices. And besides, and it's almost like, if that wasn't bad enough, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, these descendants of Anak, these were the warriors of the day. They were the legends of the day. The Nephilim, the giants. This verse was, was, it was this from the Wizard of Oz. Oh, wow, that's great. But there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. There's lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. There's lions and tigers. There's lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And they, just kept, they kept saying it. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. They're freaked out. Now, you need to remember this, though, as we read this. The land's already been given to them. It already belongs to them. God's already promised them. And it's not like they can, it's not like, well, we don't know if God actually does what he says. They have been proven to over and over and over again. If God says it, he does it. If he says it, he does it. If he says, if you do this, then this is going to happen to you. And then you do it, and that happens. Like, God's a God of his word. He has never gone back on his word, ever. And he said, this belongs to them. So they went to be encouraged. They went to, to, to spy out the land and what they could be excited about. They went to so they could start dreaming and have vision about what they're going to do. And verse 31 says, then the men who had gone up said, we are not able to go up against the people. Look, 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 look how they saw themselves. For they are stronger than we are. They're stronger. They're bigger. They're cities. The walls, of, they go so high. So I want to take some lessons from this passage today. And I usually, I usually if I, when I have points, I use, they're a positive. They're a, they're a positive movement. But I want to give us some 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 things, some lessons that will hinder us from you possessing God's best for your life. Because we see this mapped out in this passage exactly. There are things that God has for you. There are promises. There are, there are things God wants to do with you and for you and for this church that are waiting for us. But, I, but, but I'll tell you this, there are also things that you can do that will hinder you 
from possessing them. See, God never does anything alone. He never says, hey, this, th- hey this, is, uh, this is some fruit and he doesn't force feed you. He never says this is your promise and then like transports you there and puts you there. There's always this invitation for you to follow, for you to trust, for you to put your feet to action, put your actions in alignment with God's, with God has a promise for. And so this is, this is what we're going to learn, what they did not do. So the number one, the first thing that will hinder you from possessing God's best is this, elevating problems above God's promise. As you're pursuing the promises and the purposes of God, one of the greatest roadblocks that you will ever, that, that can ever be in your journey to possess what God has for you is when we submit to the problem versus what God has already said. This is, this is what the 10 spies did. This is they bowed their knee to the problem. They had God and they had the problem. And in the worship service, they decided we're going to worship the problem. Now, when we say worship, what that means is this. You begin to exalt the problem. They begin to write songs. I exalt you, problem. We went back to the 90s. Problem, I lift your name on high. Problem, I love to sing your praises. This, this is about, this is, you, you have two choices. You have what God has said and you have the problem. And what they chose to do was worship the problem. Submit to the problem. Bring adoration to the problem. Well, God, you did promise this, but we got a problem. So therefore, God, we're going to worship the problem. Because the problem, I can see it, I can feel it. You promised it, but I can't trust you. And this is what happens in our lives, is that we begin to elevate problems over God's promise. Now, look, look at what Caleb, what happens to Caleb in the midst of all of this, in the midst of, it was amazing, it was great, there's flowing milk, milk and honey. However, there's some problems. Caleb comes through and he says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, Did Caleb go into a land that they didn't go into? Did Caleb, did they split off and Caleb went to another region? Did they they somehow get divided and some went to another part of the land and some went to the other part of the land? No, they all saw the same thing. They all saw the land. They all saw the, 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 the sons of Anak. They all saw the cities. They all saw the, they saw the issues. And Caleb says this, yeah, anyway, let's go up and occupy it because we're going to be able to overcome it. This wasn't about what they saw, friends. This was about their perception. This was about the filter of what they were seeing. This is about how they viewed God and how they viewed problems. 
Caleb's perception was through the filter that God is able. When he looked at what was in front of them, he went through the filter of God. He went through the filter of God's word, what he said. The others, when they, when they came to this conclusion, their filter, and we all do it, was through the perception of me, my feelings, what I'm concerned about. I, can't, I don't know how this can happen in the natural, so therefore it cannot be God. Me. Caleb's like, let's get her, boys. Everyone else is like, I don't want to. They're big. They saw the same thing. Joshua was also one of the spies. Out of the 12, Caleb and Joshua. The next chapter says that this is what Joshua said. He says, the land which we pass through to spy out, it's, it's exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. This was not about if they could take the land. It already was theirs. And so the rest of them went into the land. The rest of them approached the land with this thought, what's going to keep us? What's going to convince us that we actually can't get what God has for us? And they just started writing down all the problems. If you were to say, hey, boys, make sure, let's write down a list of pros and cons. The 10 spies would have just wrote down just their list of cons. Hey, what's your pros? I don't know. I was too scared to write them down. I just saw this and I saw this and I saw this. They went into the land. Caleb and Joshua went into the land thinking this, hey, this, uh, this land belongs to us. Let's, let's, uh, let's see how many squatters we got here. We got to kick out of here. This is my land. This is God's land. If you're in it, it's time for you to go. It's a different perspective. It, it was, it was a, it's, it's understanding that God's got a promise in the land. It was already there. Let's go in. Okay, oh, we're going to run them off. We're going to run them off. We're going to take, they're going to be a problem. All right, we, we know what to do. That's ready. Let's, let's get after it. But the other 10, they were there and they walked in and they go, well, the others were there first and I don't know what we can do with this. And I know Yahweh gave it to us, but I, Yahweh doesn't know that they're strong. Yahweh doesn't know that there's cities with walls around them. Yahweh doesn't know. Now remember, the promise to them was this. You're going to go into the land and you're going you're to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. You're going to drink from the 1932 special edition Merlot that you didn't squash with your feet and you didn't put in your barrel and you didn't put it in the bottle, but it's yours. All of that had been said. And so Caleb and Joshua walked in and said, oh, yeah, there's that, that city. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do great with that. Oh, there's, oh, this vineyard. Yep, that's going to produce some good wine for us. Oh, this one. Oh, that well, we're going to drink from this one. Totally different perspective. And here's the truth. Many of us are doing that right now. We can't see the promise 
of God due to the problems we see. And this mindset robs us from opportunities. It robs us from the supernatural. It robs you from, even at work, if, 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 opening, if something opens up at work, you go, well, I, I mean, I could do that. I know, I felt, I've been feeling this, I've been praying that God would give me a, a, another position and more influence. And I, that's what I've been praying, but this position's open, but mm, I don't know. I don't know if, I, if I'm able to do that. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm able to, 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 to figure this out. And, and so, you know, I'm not even going to try because you've already convinced yourself it's not for you before you've ever even applied yourself. You have been focused on that which is an obstacle versus the objective. Leaders that get stuff done focus on the objective, not on the obstacles. And Caleb and Joshua said, listen, this is ours. We want it. The 10 spies, they had already disqualified themselves to be able to possess the land. And listen, it was uncomfortable for them. It was uncomfortable because they were going to have to step out of their comfort zone. I have never... I, I, God has never led Cheryl and I to a place or to do a thing that didn't make me feel uncomfortable. Not one time. I could have said no. I could have said, uh-uh. I know it's not everyone's story, but it is definitely mine. The greatest mistake I could have ever made, and as, as I followed God over the last 25 years in ministry and, and going places and doing things is, is to actually, the greatest mistake is for me to wait until it made sense to me before I did something. The issue isn't what are the problems and how do I fix them? The issue is this, what has God asked me to do? Where is God leading me? What is God calling me to be a part of, and then I will respond to that and I have to trust him to work it out along the way. You can pursue the promises of your life and you can do them two ways. You can do them in the arm of the flesh or you can allow the arm of the Lord to make the way. I'll tell you this, if you, if you, even if it is the promise of God and you think I want to get after it, I want to pursue it, and it's just going to be hard work, hard work, hard work, and I don't even have to talk to God about it. I'm just going to grind it out and I'm going to get it. Here's the problem. When you get it in the arm of the flesh, then you have to sustain it in the arm of the flesh. But if you follow God and you trust him along the way and you say, Lord, I don't like this, and I've said that many times, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to keep walking. And Lord, I believe that you're doing something. Then God opens a door and you step into, you step into your promise, you step into whatever it is. When God does it through his arm, he's the one who will sustain it by his arm. And then you just have to walk in it and receive the blessing of the promise because it's his promise in the first place.
If you get a position at work through manipulation and through tearing somebody down and, and through, through not being integritous or kind of, kind of gossiping to, to make the boss think someone else shouldn't be this. And if you get that position, then guess what? You will be dethroned by those same tactics. And then you have to sustain that position by gossiping more, backstabbing more, manipulating more, or if you get that position and, and so you better fight for it. Uh-uh, hey, listen, I've got a God who fights for me. I've got a God who goes before me. I've got a God that if this is his purposes, listen, I applied, I'll, I'll have a conversation. I'm gonna keep moving forward. I'm gonna trust him in this. You know what? If he wants me to have it, ain't no devil or man in hell who's gonna keep it from me. Our job is to keep moving forward. We all have a comfort zone. It's our safe place. But what keeps us in that box is an obsession of what could go wrong. What could go wrong? Well, I gotta stay in this box. Because if I go out there, something could go wrong. Something could happen. And, well, if I let my baby be a missionary, then what if they, what if they die? What if they, what, what, what if they go through a difficult time? Or, Listen, the things that God has for you in your life are going to require faith. But listen, there is no possession of God's promises without risk. None. Meaning you're going to have to face your fears. God has promises for you in your marriage. He has promises for you with your children. He has promises for you in, at your workplace. He has promises for you at this church and in this ministry. He has promises for you. But I'll tell, but I'll tell you this, you're gonna have to take a risk. When it comes to your marriage, you're gonna have to have conversations that are gonna be uncomfortable. When it comes to maybe something's going on with your children and you just thought, well, I'll just let God work it out. Listen, if you are the man of your house, you are called by God to be the one to set things straight. Have a conversation. No, sweetheart, that's not what God says. Son, nope, that's not how we do things around here because we do our best to do them according to the scriptures. Or vice versa, if you're a mom and you, you, it is your job to take the risk to fulfill the promise that God has for you when he brought you together, when he gave you those children. You gotta lean in and it is hard and it is uncomfortable. But I'm telling you this, on the other side is a promise that just won't benefit you, it will benefit generations to come, just like the children of Israel. <laughs> Number two, things that will hinder you from possessing God's best that we learn from them is making decisions based off of how we feel, how we feel. We live in a society that really loves their feelings. I mean, I do too, because they're always right. <laughs> Verse 32, they brought, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. Why was it bad? Because of how they felt. I said, the land which, uh, which we have gone to spy, it's a land. L listen, listen to what the, their conclusion, it devours the inhabitants. How do they know? 
Well, I feel that way. So? They're going to get us. How do you know? Because I feel that way. And all the people we saw are great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. And we, and we seem to see ourselves. Now look at this, look at this, look at this. We seem to see ourselves like grasshoppers. And what, if you want to change it, I felt like a grasshopper. And our society goes, it's okay to feel that way. Actually, our, our society goes, so you identify as a grasshopper? That was for free. You are welcome. <laughs> and then, then, then I go on, and so we seem to them. That's what they think of us. Did you ask them? Where's this coming from? How do they know? They made decisions based off of their feelings. You come to conclusions, when you make choices off of your feelings, you come to conclusions that aren't even real. And so you come to wrong conclusions, all from a feeling. The truth is this, as you approach, whether individually or we as a ministry, as a church, as a family, to experiencing everything that God has for us, to experience something great that God has for us. The enemy of your soul is gonna come after you. And he's gonna to try to distract you. For these people that, that, and for you, the images of the, of the giants in the land, the what ifs and the, the sons of Anak, they're gonna haunt you in your imagination. You're gonna see them and dream them and, you're going to lie awake at, wake at night picturing them taking your life and taking your family. And the city walls, you're going to try to scale them and you're mad. I can't scale. They're going to kill me. The enemy is going to try to influence what? Your choice. Because following Jesus, we must make choices. And so the enemy of your soul will try to intimidate that, the, the, the very core of your choice. And the enemy will try to influence your choices. See if this sounds familiar to, to anyone else here, because it, it does me. Try to influence your choice by intimidation, fear, worry, anxiety, and we will make these decisions, these choices about our life based off of negative emotions. Instead of moving towards what God has for you, we turn and we run and we say, oh, I'm out. And the enemy hopes we will never come close again to the border of what God has for us. Most of the Israelites, now think about this for a moment, they made choices through bad decisions, negative emotions. Three days after they were delivered from Egypt, they started complaining, negative emotion. At Mount Sinai, they made a choice to build an idol. Do you know why? Because they go, we don't know where Moses is. We're worried. We need somebody to lead us. Let's build an idol. Maybe this God will lead us. What was that? Fear, anxiety, negative emotion. 
out of fear because they didn't know the outcome. Think about that. They made a choice out of fear because I don't know the outcome. Well, listen, nobody does. We serve a God who's the God who knows the end from the beginning. So he says, hey, just rest. They started having a panic attack when they thought they were never going to get meat and veg that they had back in Egypt. I mean, they, they freaked out. They chose to complain and demand it. They made a choice to lead their lives and make their choices based off of negative emotions. And it never worked out for them. Friends, it will never work out for you or for me. Number three, something that'll hinder you from receiving God's best is this, not guarding the words that come out of your mouth. Now everybody say, watch it, Jason. <laughs> if only they could have guarded this meat between their two teeth. Here's the truth, words shape you and words shape others around you. It's not that we don't speak truth. We absolutely speak truth. But we must attach truth to, but God is able. Nothing wrong with saying, hey, the, the sons of Anak are there. They're big boys. There's some fortified cities. It's going to be tough. But we serve a God where all things are possible. Look at what the 10 spies bad report does, Okay. So they say it, they speak it. This is why your words matter in your family, at church. This is why your words matter. Look, all the congregation, after they heard the bad, the bad report, raised a loud cry to the people and wept that night. They just wept. Oh, I just can't believe it. Why? Is it? There was also another report, you know. Caleb said, we got this. Come on, let's go get it. But they chose to follow their negative emotions. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would, that be, would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Now, look, look, look at this. They, their minds are going nutso. Our wives and our little ones, they're going to become prey would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? To go back to where? To go back to where? To slavery? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader to go where we want. As I started leading faith five years ago, with the other pastors and the, and the board of directors. The last thing that we wanted for this church was our vision. Because Jesus owns the church. The last thing that we need is my vision. But what we do need is his vision for us. 
They wanted a leader that did what they wanted. Their minds are going nuts. And their bad report gave fuel to their imagination. Now, and look, even in their minds, their wives and their kids were already dead. That's, that's how advanced. That's how, when you base your decisions off of negative emotions, you come to conclusions that aren't even real. Well, why do you think that? Because I feel that. Well, why do you feel that? Because everyone else feels that. Well, why does that make it valid? Well, other people are saying, I don't care. What's the truth? What's the truth? And so what comes out of our mouth, friends, it is, it is, we got to guard it. Paul says this when he's talking to the church in Ephesus. He goes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. What is corrupting talk? Well, it's the opposite of this. Only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. We sit around and we talk about negative, I can't believe it. We talk to our spouses, I can't believe this. And our children hear us, oh me, oh my, and lions and tigers and bears. and not. What does it do? We are instilling fear, anxiety. Where are we speaking faith? Where are we building up? Where are we giving grace to those who hear us when we speak? This is a major theme of the Bible. And the New Testament is that we are to speak what is true. Because it's what, what faith does, it expects the best. And it bases the outcome off of God's faithfulness, not our ability. The Bible speaks about our tongues. Listen to this, James chapter 3. When we put bits in into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Well, what's he talking about? Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts, considers what a great forest Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Speaking of in a church, speaking of this congregation of the Israelites, it corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. You can set the whole course of your, of your life of your children's life, of your spouse's life, of your church's life, of your workplace lives, of your parents' life. You can set it all on fire with, with this. Or you can possess God's best by speaking what he says, not what you feel. The next time you feel yourself wanting to complain and grumble and express, but I feel this way and I have to, and we have elevated, we have, we have worshiped the feeling of our emotion in America. We have, we have bowed the knee. We have written worship songs about my feelings. 
because we're proud. And because I feel it, I must say it. And now we live in a world where everyone else's job is to either bow to my feeling or make sure I don't feel something that's negative. But the spirit of God that lives in you and me, the fruit is what? Self-control. Not control others so that you can feel better. We control ourselves. That our emotions will not be controlled by the flesh or circumstances, but by the grace of God, my emotions will be controlled by the Spirit of God. Because it can set your whole life on fire. And when you begin to start putting out, to put your fire out and complain and grumble and doubt and I can't believe it. Listen, you're just not setting your life on fire. According to the scriptures, you're setting someone else's life on fire too. In those moments, this is what we need to pray. David, Psalm 141.3, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Last one, we'll finish that hinders you not guarding your heart from negative outside influence. The whole congregation was there. They heard the bad report. The negative faithless voices started feeding off each other. I'm going to read this commentary. This is, this is the commentary. I'm going to read how, how um, what's his name? Allen, sorry, Ronald Allen. He's an expository. He writes great commentaries. He said this about this passage. The more the people wailed, the more excessive of their words. The more the people cried, the more they outdid one another in protest of rage. This is the pattern of crowd psychology that leads to riots, lynchings, stormings, and rampages. Now they begin to aim their anger more directly at Yahweh himself. Moses and Aaron are the fall guys, but the Lord is the one really to blame. He delivered them from Egypt and they began to curse him, to contempt his goodness, to reject his grace, forgetful of God's power against Egypt. Surely a nation stronger than any petty Canaanite city-state the people work themselves in such a frenzy of fear. Now listen to this. That they wish that God had not brought them there at all. Why had he not just left them alone? Slavery began to look good to them. The hovels of Egypt began to look like home again. The memory of the variety of food made the memory of the oppressive taskmasters less fearsome. So it was that the frightened words of the faithless agents led to the mourning of the entire community and to the great rebellion against the Lord. Why does this matter? Jason, why can't I just let my feelings do what they want? Don't tell me how to feel. Psalm 423, above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. Now look at this. Then all the... I, 
Caleb and Joshua, these boys got some courage. They're going to they're speak truth. I'm not having this, this stupid, fearful, anxiety, emotionally driven conversation. And let, uh, we're, uh, I'm not having this. And so Caleb and Joshua in the chaos, they stood up and they spoke. They speak up. Why? Because it was true. God brought us here. God will give us the land. Don't rebel against God. Watch your mouth. Numbers 14.10, then all the congregation said, okay, let's stone them. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to silence them. And when you disobey God, when you say, I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to complain. You don't tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what I don't like. And I'm going to keep telling you it's my feelings and my right and my emotions. And by golly, I can just spray it on everybody. When you do that, when you make the decision to violate scripture and to sin willingly, you will do whatever it takes to remove anything in front of you that makes you feel bad for the words coming out of your mouth. You will cut people out of your life. You will cut pastors out of your life. You will leave church. You will friends and you will just whatever you decide you'll do it because what matters to you is your feelings your emotions and then you will even kill people in order to get them to shut up you will harm anyone so that you can express your feelings we see it in the world Last verse, I promise. God says, and, and Moses does the most pastoral thing I've ever, I've ever seen in scripture, except for Jesus laying his life down. God says, all right, enough. Let's just wipe them out. Now, if, if, if I was their pastor, I would've been like, I agree. <laughs> Unless it was you, then I wouldn't do that. But God says, okay, okay. Moses, Moses says, no, God, just hang on, hang on a second. What, what are the Egyptians going to say? What are the nations going to say? He says, okay. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, that you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Listen, listen to this. Your dead bodies shall fall to this wilderness. And of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years ago, from, excuse me, from 20 years old and upwards who have grumbled against me, mouth, emotions, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. Well, there is a couple in your generation, Caleb and Joshua, but your little ones, now look, look at this, look, they just accuse God, they just express, now listen, they express their fear our little ones, our wives. I mean, I, he goes, oh yeah, those little ones that you were accusing me, they would be prey. But your little ones who you said would become prey, I'm gonna bring them in. And they shall know the land that you rejected. And they wandered for 40 years. Why? Because they allowed the problems, their emotions, the circumstances. They elevated their problems above God. They elevated their emotions above what God had spoken to them to do. And they missed 
There are, there's the reality of we, we live in a world where, where we think what comes out of our mouth, we can say it, we can spray it. And the reality is this, it matters. And there are, and what happens is when you begin to say it and you begin to feel it, you will, you separate yourself from that which God has called to be a promise. I know people in men, I, listen, I've been in four different churches. In every church, there are people who complain and grumble. And what happens is along the way, they, they somehow leave or no longer get to move forward with where the church is going. And they miss out on what God had for them. God's best for them. Sometimes it's an older generation that doesn't like change and they get complaining and they get mad and they get angry and they think my emotion matters and they start, they, there's some entitlement with that. And what happens is they leave and quit at one of the most crucial periods of their life for the church to rally around them and serve them and be a part of meeting their needs and loving them and being there for them. And they just, I'm out of here and they leave and they don't get to inherit what God had for them. It happens in marriages. It happens when you raise children. It happens in churches. It happens at faith. Friends, God has a blessing for you. He's the best for you. Let's not fall in the same trap as what the Israelites did. Let's lead our families well. Let's speak up when we need to. Let's hold the line. And let's inherit God's best. Amen. Let's stand to our feet today. If you can't just lift your hands to the Lord, I want to pray for you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, may you bless your people. May they leave here today equipped to be able to possess your best for their life. Today, Lord, may you cleanse us and forgive us. God, I thank you that we're in the, <laughs> the new covenant and that we can we can seek forgiveness and cleansing from the things that have come out of our mouths, the attitudes of our hearts. May you cleanse us, forgive us, and may we leave here today excited to possess your best for us. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless.